All right. Daniel chapter 6. Are you there already? Daniel chapter 6. I want to start with a Chuck Swindoll. How many people love Chuck Swindoll? That guy, right? Here's something he said. Few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack, clean living. Just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. I mean, you would have known that was Chuck Swindoll, even if I didn't put his name there, just by the way he says it. But um, that last word is really the critical word. It's the word we want to talk about today. It's the word that flows out of Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel's life. And it's that word integrity. And as we live in a world uh, today that is increasingly anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-church, anti-Christian, intolerant of what we as the followers of Christ believe, we need this of each other. We need this kind of integrity being lived out in front of one another. We need to be people of integrity who are uninfluenced by the relentless temptation of the world that wants us to reject Jesus Christ and reject his word. And so when we speak of integrity, what we're talking about here, it's a French-Latin word, uh, intact, Okay, it's the word intact. It's defined as being whole and complete and consistent. So a, a, a building that is a building with integrity has internal consistency to it. And a human being with integrity has characteristics such as honesty and impeccable character. It's a person who holds and lives out the highest moral principles. That the way they are on the inside is the way that they act on the outside. It's the same. It is to have an undivided heart and actions that flow from that heart that are uncompromising. And again, this is what we see in Daniel, a man of integrity who lived in a culture that was just like ours. In Daniel chapter 6, we see his integrity hold him on course Although it would seem that the cost would be his very life. And he makes clear that his integrity was made possible by the God that he loved and served. And toward the end of the chapter, in fact, it says this of Daniel, that he had trusted in his God. And so what we're going after is a very simple statement. When I trust God, I will be undivided in heart and uncompromising in action. Do you want to go after that today? Yeah. All right, let's pray and ask God uh, to bless this time together. Father, we are um, humbled again to be able to get your word open in front of us and to um, honestly come to you today with our hearts open to receiving what you would have to say to us. God, I know that this room is filled with people who are people of integrity. And I know that there's some in this room that are struggling with that. And wherever our starting point is today, God, I pray that we would take steps forward to acknowledge your word, to believe it, and to have it alter our lives. And again, today, on this particular day, we're grateful, Father, for the freedom that we have to have this pulpit, to have the word of God in our hands, to be gathered together in worship. 
We know many have sacrificed their lives to give us this freedom. And so we're grateful today. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, there it is. When I trust God, I will be undivided in heart and uncompromising in action. And we're going to affirm some things, five affirmations flowing out of that statement. Affirming, first of all, that I can do everything right and things can still go horribly wrong. Oh, you laugh at that. I can do everything right. And things can still go horribly wrong. Daniel chapter 6, let's read the first uh, nine verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Now, Daniel found himself on the wrong side of an unjust law. The, 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 the narrative has shifted from that of the Babylonian Empire to that of the Medes and Persians. Darius was appointed to be the king of Babylon, Cyrus being the supreme commander of the, of the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire. These satraps and, and high officials and government officers, they were, they were all Babylonians. They were part of the old regime, and, and Darius was now working with them to rule Babylon. And no doubt he wanted to have them on his side so that his rule went super well. And so because of that and the intrigues that happen in politics from time to time, Daniel finds himself on the wrong side of an unjust law. He had enemies. And you could write this down, and this would be true at every point in history, and it's true now. If I love Jesus, there will be people who do not love me. If I love Jesus, there will be people who do not love me. Now, by this time, Daniel's in his late 80s. He's faithfully served the kings of Babylon. He's now faithfully serving the king of Medo-Persia. He was, as described here, a man of integrity. Verse 3 says that an excellent spirit was in him. These high officials, verse 4 says, that they could find no ground for complaint. They couldn't find any fault in him because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. 
He would save himself later to King Darius that he was rescued. This is after he's rescued from the lion's den. He would save himself, verse 22, I was found blameless before God and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. In other words, I have a clear conscience. What an awesome way to live your life. As far as it's possible for a human being, Daniel was subject to the sin nature just like you and I are, but as far as it's possible for any human being subject to the sin nature, Daniel did everything right. He did it right before his God. He did it right before the people that he was serving in the empires in which he served, and yet things still went horribly wrong for him. Now, you and I cannot control either circumstances that happened to us, nor can we control the feelings of other people. We'd like to, but we can't. We have to accept the reality that most people in this world despise God. Most do not wish to live according to his ways. Even those who would acknowledge, I believe in God, shape God into an image that's palatable to them that they can accept, that will allow them to continue to live their life their way. That's the majority of people. And they will oppose anyone who seeks to live and worship and serve the God of the, of the Bible. We live in this day, we've said this earlier in the series, we live in a day of outrage, we live in a day of disruption. And opposition today is much more active than it was in previous generations in the Western world. This first affirmation is simply for informational purposes. There's no action item that really flows out of it. It's really just that we would acknowledge that you will be despised for your faith in Jesus Christ. So listen, when I do everything right and things still go horribly wrong... I must still do everything right. And that leads us to this second affirmation. I will continue to be and do what I've always been and done, no matter the circumstances. Assuming that you're a person of integrity, continue to be and do what you've always been and done, no matter what's happening around you. Now pick this up in... Of verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Now, the key phrase in, is in verse 10. You might underline it, as he had done previously. In other words, Daniel's not like hearing about this law and then going, you know what? I'm going to provoke a crisis here. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and cause a scene. I'm going to be intentionally provocative. Daniel does not do that. That's not his MO at all. Instead, he's going to do something that's completely not out of the ordinary. This is exactly what he's always done. It was the pattern of his life. He had a relationship with his God that was alive and was vibrant. A God whom he sought regularly, multiple times a day. This is the God who had sustained him through 80 years of his life. 
a God who had walked with him when he, was, when he was whisked out of Israel, a God who had been with him every single day that he had lived in exile in Babylon, a God who had given him wisdom and given him dreams and granted him visions and sent angels to speak to him. The God who had saved him, the God who had cleansed him of his sins, the God who had given him hope, the God who had given him everything. That was the God he sought three times a day on his knees with his eyes toward Jerusalem. Daniel would continue to offer God his devotion despite the circumstances, despite the threats. And in fact, his accusers, this was the only play they had. They said so themselves back in verse 10. We're not going to find any reason to accuse this guy if it pertains to his service to the king or in any other aspect of his life. The only way we're going to be able to trip him up, verse 10 says, if it is with respect to the law of his God. So they come up with this whole plan that you can only pray to the king for 30 days. So listen, it's not surprising that the conspirators then in verse 11 find Daniel making petition and plea before his God. That is now illegal. And the circumstances of Daniel's situation changed dramatically at this particular point in his life. Nebuchadnezzar, all those years he had served him, he was the one who invaded Israel in the first place. Nebuchadnezzar had great respect for the God of the Hebrews, had, had treated their vessels from the temple with great respect. Nebuchadnezzar had never outlawed the practice of the Jewish faith. And yet here, now Darius comes in under pressure from these Babylonian officials, and he outlaw, outlaws it. And it violated Daniel's conscience. But listen, circumstances would not change him. And that's integrity. That our circumstances do not pressure us to change anything. In other words, Daniel would continue to be and do what he had always been and done. A heart aligned with God's and actions that followed out of that. G.K. Chesterton, who I just love and who has said so many things that apply to this day and said them a hundred years ago, right is right even if no one does it. Wrong is wrong even if everyone's wrong about it. And as our culture rapidly changes, this is not the time to compromise or recast our place in society. It's not the time to find a more comfortable way to live, to exist within this hostile culture. It's not the time to allow culture to influence and change us. If you want the uh, primo example in Canada of how culture changed a church, you only need to look as far as the United Church of Canada and how step by step, decade after decade, they compromised on key doctrines to the point that in this past week, one of their ordained ministers who several years ago declared herself to be an atheist Help me again. What do atheists believe? They believe there is no. So they brought her up before a church court and they brought this to the process and they just shut that whole process down now because they think it's okay for an atheist to be a minister of a church. 
okay, listen, that's just step-by-step compromise. That's giving into the pressure because the United Church of Canada has always said that it holds inclusivism as their highest value. We're going to include everybody. Okay, we're a church that worships God, that believes in Jesus Christ, but it's okay if an atheist stands in front of a group of people and leads a congregation. (laughs) None of that was in my notes. This This is what we're to be. Far from compromising... What Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. That's what he said. See, now, far from being influenced by the culture, I'm supposed to be shining a light into the darkness of this culture. I'm supposed to be the salt that's flavoring and preserving this culture. I'm supposed to be influencing the culture around me and the people around me. And I do that by maintaining my integrity and standing firm in the midst of the growing darkness and casting the light of Jesus Christ into the culture. I'm not cowering. I'm not compromising under the pressure of those who hate me, those who hate my values, those who hate what I believe, my practices, my faith, my God. Christian, listen, continue to be and do what you've always been and done. Continue to commit yourself to the unapologetic proclamation of the word of God. Study the Bible. Learn it. Know it. Believe it. Allow it to change you. Speak it to others. Give yourself to the unashamed adoration of Jesus Christ. Even when people around you think you're crazy for doing it. Sing with all your voice. Be in worship together. Lift your hands in praise. Clap for the Lord Jesus Christ. Devote yourself to unceasing prayer. It doesn't make sense to pray. You can't even see God. Why are you even praying to him? Be unafraid in your witness. Tell everybody about him. And devote yourself to uncommon community. Love one another in a way that the world will take notice of. And be drawn to Jesus Christ. Continue to be and do what you've always been and done no matter the circumstances. And then affirm this, I will see malicious people as agents of God's will in my life. Verse 12. So they see him praying, okay? They've set up this law. They see him praying. Verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, Okay, this is where they just prove themselves to be idiots. Okay, no sort would say, uh, did you not like sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Like, why are they feigning that they're only like sort of remembering this? This was their idea. They wrote the language. It's so lacking in integrity, isn't it? Showing one thing, but underneath there's something very different. They stand in contrast to Daniel here. When the king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, a little anti-Semitism there, 
pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed. Okay, lie and truth. He's not paying attention to the injunction, but he certainly does not pay, and he does pay attention to the king. He's always been devoted to the king. It's a little lie mixed with some truth, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Now, it's obvious from verse 10 that Daniel knew about the law. When he knew that the law had been signed, he went back to his house and he opened his windows and he faced Jerusalem and he prayed. When he knew, he knew the law was coming. He knew these guys were out to get him. So then I asked the question, why didn't he speak up at some point? Because it's obvious that Darius loves him and, and, and knows how devoted Daniel is to him because he was so distressed when he heard what his accuser said. Why didn't Daniel go to the king before the law was signed? Why didn't he say, king, that's not a great law. You don't need to give in to these guys. Why didn't he oppose it? Why didn't he defend himself? Why didn't he stand up to the bullies? John Milton said this, I will not deny but that the best apology against false accusers is silence and sufferance and honest deeds set against dishonest words. Just be quiet. Just let it play out. Don't need to defend yourself. You got God on your side. Do you not think that he is able to defend you? A Christian with integrity trusts God to vindicate him and doesn't take matters into his or her own hands. I mean, I mean just, just think about it. We're, I'm using the word malicious here because we, we see that word to describe these accusers in verse 24. But no one was more malicious than the religious leaders who came at Jesus. The ones that put the Son of God to death. And yet God used those malicious men to affect his will. And none of us would deny that. Having received the benefit of the salvation through Jesus Christ, none of us would see anything other than the agency of God even in the evil acts that were done. In the face of that, when Jesus was maliciously accused, this is what Matthew 27, 14 says, he gave Pilate no answer, not even to a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. The prophet Isaiah put it this way in in Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before her shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, See, Jesus was letting God's will play out in his life and in the world. And Daniel too was letting his life of integrity speak for itself and he was trusting the God he had prayed to unceasingly. He was praying to him to work out whatever plan he had for him. Now in both of these cases, God worked mightily to vindicate Daniel in this life, to rescue him from the lions. 
He worked mightily to vindicate his son by resurrecting him from the dead on the third day. But there's no guarantee it plays out that way for you and me. The likelihood that it plays out that way, in fact, is remote. Many Christians, while maintaining their integrity, ended up losing much. People have been separated from families. People have lost their livelihoods, their jobs, had financial setbacks, lost friends, lost possessions, lost their freedom. Some even around the world, millions really, have lost their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because they were unwilling to compromise on what they believed. And they saw what was happening to them as part of God's perfect will. And this is the essence of the gospel being played out in every one of our lives. That the crucifixion of the sinless Son of God at the hands of malicious men would result in the defeat of sin, in the defeat of death, and of the offer of salvation being extended to every one of us. Jesus said in Luke 9, 22, he made it so clear, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be, be, be uh, raised. He said all of that long before it happened. He, he showed that the path of integrity, the path of wholeness, the path of completeness would pass through suffering. We embody that gospel so that every malicious, unkind, disrespectful person in your life, the one who makes your Christian life so difficult to live out, is an agent of God's will in your life to affect His will, to cause you to grow in your faith, to cause you to grow in your devotion to Christ, in endurance and in patience, in order to be a witness to the world of who Jesus Christ is. So we have to get there. We have to see malicious people as agents of God's will in our lives. And if you can get there, and I'm not saying that's necessarily an easy thing to do. But if you can get there, then you can affirm this next. I will leave it with God to decide what's best for me. I will leave it with God to decide what's best for me. Verse 16, the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. God evidently thought that it would be best for Daniel, that it would be best for King Darius, that it would be best for the Medo-Persian Empire, that it would be best for us. That an 85, 86, 87-year-old man should be put into a lion's den and eaten by them. Reminds me of a week ago Saturday 
when we heard what happened in the news in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue. A hate-filled, anti-Semitic gunman walked into that synagogue during Sabbath services, shot dead 11 people, including 97-year-old Rose Malinger. An 80-something-year-old man is lowered into a lion's den. A shooter kills a 97-year-old woman who's worshiping. I mean, isn't, isn't this the point at which you and I began to ask God some questions? Isn't this when we go, God, what are you thinking? Why, why did this happen? This is the point at which we normally judge God. Let's just say it. So much injustice in the world. Why would you allow that to happen? So much personal heartache. We wonder what God is doing. My personal heart breaks. I've been through some hard things in life, but they hardly stack up to what many of you in this room have faced. Though I have walked through many heartaches with many of you, I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with many of you. I have wondered what God's purposes were. I've been with families when they picked out very small caskets. I have done funerals for those who have taken their lives and wondered how they got to a place of such despair. I have wondered why people spend an entire lifetime in a wheelchair. I have wondered why accidents happen and young people are taken. I have wondered about God's timing of things. I wondered why he didn't protect this time and instead allowed the tragedy to unfold. See, I, I wonder if this isn't the hardest thing to accept about our God. I wonder if this isn't the most difficult thing to affirm that I'm going to leave it with God to decide what's best for me. And to simply trust Him. To really believe. The Romans 8, 28, they always say, don't, don't bring that verse out in the midst of someone's tragedy. Well, then let's talk about it before we get there. To look at Romans 8, 28, we know that, all thi- that for those who love God, all things work together for good. No one wants to hear that in the midst of tragedy while st- tears are streaming down their face. But let's lock it down now. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I want to get to the place where I can say with confidence, and and this is Romans 14, 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. A follower of Jesus Christ who has the indwelling Holy Spirit who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
says with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And in between, whatever you would choose from me, God, I'm going to accept that as your best for me. I want you to come back to that Romans 14 uh, for a second. Let's come back to this verse. And I, I just want to personalize it. So I want you to hear it first person singular as if you're saying it. For if I live, I live to the Lord. And if I die, I die to the Lord. So then whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. Can you say that? It's not about the living and the dying. It's not about the pain and the sorrow and the losses. It can't at all be about what we see. What what Daniel saw was an unjust law. What Daniel saw was a lion's den. He had to look past that and trust the God who, remember back in Daniel chapter 2, one of those beautiful uh, phrases in the entire book, we worship, we trust the God who knows what's in the darkness, Daniel 2.22. A God who knows what's in the darkness. He knows what's going to happen in the lion's den. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen with this trial that I'm facing. The God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, who will always, always, always ordain what is best for you. I will leave it with God to decide what's best for me. Here's what we're going after. When I trust God, I will be undivided in heart, uncompromising in action, and affirm finally this one. I will praise God for any rescue and blessing I receive. We haven't really even gotten to the best part of this chapter yet. Then at break of day, this is verse 19. At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. God saved the king. My God sent his angel, shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. I As best as I've been able, I've lived a life of integrity. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24 is a bit PG-13 for violence. And the king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, okay, maybe R for violence. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Stop this stupidity of praying to me. Pray to him. For he is the living God. This is King Darius, pagan king, writing this. 
He's saying this to an entire world power empire. For he is, I would love that one of our prime ministers or presidents would say this. For he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Well, things turned out pretty well uh, for Daniel uh, in this respect, and God had a purpose in that. Again, most obviously that we would be able to read the narrative today and be encouraged and built up in our own faith. Darius, for his part, had spent a restless night fasting, hoping that Daniel's God would come through for him. And he had said, as he was being lowered into the lion's den, and he's, he's expressing this wish and this desire that, that Daniel's God, whom he has, and these are his words, whom, whom he had served continually, an indication of his integrity again. So not surprisingly, he rushes in the next morning and he calls out to Daniel, Has he been able to save you? What's striking about this passage are the references to God. There's never a moment in the narrative when God is absent, not even in Darius' mouth. Daniel had been so exemplary. Don't miss this. Daniel had been so exemplary that even before he knew that Daniel was rescued, Darius was acknowledging his God. Even Darius knew who the hero of the story was, and it wasn't Daniel. Listen, the consistency of Daniel's life, his integrity, witness to the existence and power of God to a pagan king. Just the way he lived. Now think about that. Would people say that about you? That the way you're living your life is witnessing to the existence and the power of God? Do the people that you work with look at you and say, that's a person of integrity and they love God and I'm kind of attracted to that. I I would admit that there is a God because of the way they're living. Would your family say that? Would your neighbors? Because the king saw that in Daniel. Daniel. Well, Darius gets a pleasant surprise. Daniel calls out in response. He acknowledges that it was God who sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths, that he wasn't harmed. Darius was glad, verse 23, because he had trusted in his God. The edict is pronounced. People are told to worship the Lord throughout the empire, to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And Daniel was blessed and prospered. And God had a purpose in all of that. But even if God had not rescued Daniel, as he did here, Daniel would have left this world with his integrity intact, praising his God. And if I could borrow from another Old Testament narrative, Job said this in the midst of his own pain and suffering. This is in Job 13, 15. Though though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Though God has chosen this for me, when he says he, though he slay me, though God slays me, though God has chosen this for me, yet will I hope in him. I will praise him. I will worship him. I will speak of him. I will serve him. I will never stop praying to him. 
No matter the circumstances, I will, if I could say it this way, I will go to my house and I will go to my room and I will throw open the windows to heaven and I will bow my knees and I will pray to my God unceasingly as I have have always done. And I will say this, this is what I will say, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you and it is well with me. Amen? Amen.